everybody. Welcome to the Hallmarkies podcast. And we're really excited today to talk with another bestselling author. Love having authors on the podcast. And and I am film critic Rachel Wagner and uh, Irene Hannon is here. Thank you so much, Irene, for coming on the podcast. It's a pleasure. Yeah. So what we like to do with new guests is get to know you a little bit. And so can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how did you get started writing? Well, it was a long and winding road. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I do get a lot of times asked, when did you decide to become a writer? And I always kind of smile when I hear that question because I really didn't decide to become a writer. I was born a writer. And, yeah. and I think that's true with people in any creative endeavor or anybody who has certain talents, you know, you're born with this desire, this, this innate talent. Now, whether you choose to develop it or not, that's a different story. But mm -hmm. I think I've, I've always been a writer. So, and I've always been a reader. Mm -hmm. And I never actually thought about becoming a professional fiction writer because I grew up in, in a pretty, uh, blue collar home. Uh, my dad worked really hard. Uh, my mom was a stay at home uh, mother and homemaker. And we never wanted for anything. And we were rich in all ways that mattered in terms of love and support and all that. But you know, we didn't have a lot of extra things. And so I always knew when I grew up that I would have to have a career that would put food on the table and pay my rent and pay my utilities and all of those practical considerations. And so I also knew that writing wasn't, being a novelist wasn't exactly a sure bet to get those things. So it was all, it was never on my radar as a professional outlet for me. Uh, although I always do tell people that I made my professional debut when I was 10 and I was one of the one of the honorees in a complete the story contest from a national children's magazine. So, that's, so I was always interested in that. But a lot of years passed between that and my first published novel. Yeah. So what happened was I went to college uh, with no intent to do anything with writing professionally. I got very interested in psychology and that's what I majored in, mm -hmm. but I couldn't quite give up the writing. So I joined the newspaper and I wrote on the college newspaper and then I got to be, I think I was a junior and it suddenly occurred to me that if you want to make a real living in psychology, you have to have a master's degree. That wasn't the most practical undergraduate degree, even though I was fascinated by it. So I realized I was at a crossroads because I could either get a master's in psychology, which was of great interest to me, or I could switch gears and get a master's in journalism. So it was a fork in the road moment. And I went with the journalism, got my master's. Before I even graduated, I got a really great job in the corporate communications department of a fortune 500 company where I wrote every day. And so I had a secure job now, benefits, regular salary. And once I had that, I started to think, well, maybe now I can write on the side. So I started to dabble in fiction and it was still a long and winding road from there to get published. But I finally did sell my first book then that publisher discontinued the line. So I was back with no publisher again. So it was a long and winding road to get Ryan now. But eventually what happened in the corporate world is that the job kept getting more busier and busier. And I kept rising in the ranks and I hit the executive level. And all of a sudden I had two careers going. 
and no time to do two careers. Yeah. So I had, I had another fork in the road moment and I had to decide, mm-hmm. okay, do I stay with this fabulous job that one of the villains in one of my suspense novels would kill for? It was a really great <laughs> job. I loved it. It was wonderful. I was uh, the head of several departments. I was the speechwriter for the, uh, uh, CEO and chairman of the board. I was the editor of our global magazine. It was a great job, but I, I knew that I would either have to stop writing until I retired, which was a long way down the road, or I'd have to walk away from this job. Mm-hmm. And what a hard decision that was. It was so hard because I was very security conscious still, even though I've been yeah. publishing books, you know, it's still... I hadn't hit a high enough level to make a living at it, but I thought I could if I could devote more time to it. So in the end, after really thinking about it hard and several things happened to push me to leave the corporate job. And then I became a full-time writer. And that's when I, that's when my career took off because I had time to truly devote to it full-time. I branched into romantic suspense in addition to contemporary romance started to hit that bestseller list and it never looked back, but it was a really scary choice to make. I can, I can understand that. I had a moment where I was so unhappy in, I mean, unlike where you were happy with your job. And so that makes it even almost harder. It must be, but I definitely had a moment where I, I was so unhappy at work and I just had to take like the leap of faith that everything was going to, that my happiness was more important than anything else. And that, mm-hmm. that God would make it work out. Yes. <laughs> and he did. Yes. So. And truly it is a leap of faith. Yeah. Absolutely. A leap of faith when you do something like that. And I don't know that I would ever recommend to anyone else what they should do in that situation. You really have to think long and hard about it. Mm-hmm. And I was married and I, I, my husband did have a job. So I, we weren't going to be with no income if, if I totally failed at the effort. But fortunately, that's not what happened. It mm-hmm. ended up being the best thing I could have done. Like I said, and I never looked back, never missed the rush hour commute, never missed the corporate politics, never yeah. missed the phone that, you know, I was on call 24 seven, never missed any of that. Well, that's a great story. I mean, you should put that in one of your books. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's almost story. it's almost like you know fiction is stranger than like real life is stranger than fiction sometimes yeah. <laughs> or harder to believe but yeah it's yeah. definitely a happy ending story yeah. <laughs> ho 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 we'd like to take a second and thank our sponsor for this episode of the podcast it's the hallmarkies patreon do you love hallmarkies podcast especially at christmas do you enjoy the holiday previews recaps interviews and bonus episodes If the answer is yes, please consider supporting the Hallmarkies Patreon. We need your help to do what we do both during the Christmas season and all year round. But not only do you help a podcast led by strong, independent women by becoming a Patreon, you get to become a part of the Hallmarkies family. Starting at only $2 a month as a patron, you will have access to our Facebook Patreon group where we talk about the movies, shows, and more all year. We also have many monthly patron watch-alongs with guests like Lacey Chabert, Natalie Hall, Paul Campbell, Mary Lou Henner, and more, giving their behind-the-scenes details of their films. As a patron, you also have the chance to provide input into the podcast and even join us at different tiers. So this Christmas season, spread some cheer to the Hallmarkies Patreon and become a member today. You won't regret it. Go to patreon.com slash to learn more. 
That's patreon.com slash homeworkies. Were, were you always interested in romance, uh, even as a younger, younger kid? I was. Mm-hmm. I was. The first books that I remember reading and devouring and just being totally captured by were the Nancy Drew books. Mm. And of course, they weren't really romance. They were geared to a younger audience. But there was, you know, I think Ned was in there in the background, kind of. But what caught me about those books initially and drew me so strongly to writing was was Nancy Drew. She what an amazing role model for a young girl. She was strong and she was smart. She was brave. She had a good sense of humor and she was loyal. Yeah. And all these wonderful qualities. So one summer I discovered Nancy Drew. I was probably, I'm going to say eight or nine or maybe 10. I was pretty young and I, I literally devoured the books. I would sit in my, we lived with my grandfather and I would sit in the backyard under this giant catalpa tree and just read one book after another. We lived about a couple blocks from the library and I would get, I'd go get a stack of books and in two or three days, I would go through my five books or whatever and I'd take them back. And I did this about, three times. And the librarian finally said to me on the third trip, you know, you can't possibly be reading all of these in this short time. Why don't you take these home and come back in a few days? So I went home and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm finished with these. I want more books. And I told the story to my mother. (laughs) My mother was, she was great. So she calls the library and says, okay, my daughter is reading these books. I guarantee you she's reading these books. Give her some more (laughs) books. (laughs) <laughs> so I back I went so I read all of the Nancy Drew books that summer and that I loved that whole uh romantic uh, the suspense element in those books so I loved that and then when I got a little bit older probably early teens maybe 12 and 13 I discovered an author who was actually was an older writer in my day um I think she wrote in probably the 40s it was Emily Loring and I discovered her books at the library again. And, you know, like I said, her books were decades old when I discovered them, but she had the great combination of the Nancy Drew element, which was the suspense with this, this great romance. I was hooked on those, read all those, read all those through. So that, so I knew from the beginning that that genre and possibly a combination of the two genres of romance and suspense were where I wanted to be. And that is where I ended up. Yeah. Wow. That's great. And so your first published novel, did you just send out copies to all the publishers and you just, I did, I yeah. did, I, I didn't know very much about the business in those days. And, and the, the very first book I wrote was, was more of a novella it was shorter and it was a romantic suspense. Um, but it was really, really bad. It was so bad. I never even let my mother read it. Everything I wrote, but I didn't have the skill set yet to write a full length novel. I didn't have the technical expertise. And I certainly didn't have the resources that you need to write romantic suspense. You need good contacts. You need good sources for that. And this was pre-internet. So we're talking the dark ages. Mm -hmm. Uh, I just didn't have, I couldn't do it. So I put that, that manuscript is in the deepest, darkest corner of my (laughs) closet where it will forever remain. It's not salvageable. Uh, And so I thought, okay, I can't really do this, but I think I could write a romance. So that's what I did. And so my first, quite a few books were romance since I wrote the first one and I thought it was just wonderful. Publishers will be knocking at my door to get this book. <laughs> no, I collected a 
list of a, a stack of rejections like this thick. And I thought, oh, okay, so I'm not getting anywhere with this book. So I kept writing though. I didn't let that deter me. I kept writing. By the time I sold that book, I had three manuscripts finished. Wow. But what happened was I was hitting the market. I was writing what the market would probably term sweet romance. And I was hitting the market when romance was dramatically changing and becoming much more explicit, much racier. Uh, they weren't looking for what I was writing. And mm -hmm. I was it was very discouraging because I didn't want to write those kind of books. I always remember um, going to hear a talk once by Mary Higgins Clark. And she um, she was writing also in this era when all of these things were going on. And, and somebody in the Q&A got up and they asked her directly. They said, you don't include things like gratuitous violence, our vulgarity, our explicit bedroom scenes. Why don't you do that? Everybody does that now. That is what the market is wanting. And she looked them right in the eye and she said, because you don't need those to tell a compelling story. And I thought, that's exactly how I feel. But she was already a successful author, so she could do this. I was a new author. I was not having as much luck. But what happened was, just by a fluke, I discovered that there was a Christian publishing company starting a line of romances. And I thought, well, I, I wasn't writing for the Christian market, but the books did reflect my values and my worldview, which come from a Christian background. And I thought, I don't know, maybe, maybe don't like this book. So I sent it off. And sure enough, within like two weeks, I got the call. And the funny thing was, I was on a business trip. I was in, I was in California. And this is before cell phones. Okay. So I, my mother called the hotel. I was living at home. I still lived at home. And she said, Irene, this woman called from this publishing house and she wants to talk to you. And I thought, oh my gosh, when somebody actually physically calls you, this has got to be yeah. good news, right? So I called her back. It was late at night when my mother told me this. I called her back the next morning and they made me an offer on the first book. And I remember hanging up, I'm in California on a business trip. I don't know anybody. There's nobody to celebrate with. So I waited to celebrate when I got home. But yes, she bought, yeah. they bought the first, they bought the first, actually they bought all three of those first books, but they were ahead of their time. This was before inspirational, the category mm -hmm. was even known. Yeah. So they were pioneers, but they were too early. And mm -hmm. so they, the line folded. And so I was back with no publisher for six years before I made another sale. But oh, wow. so as I said, it's been a it's been a long and winding and sometimes rocky road. <laughs> That's a great story though. Everybody should have that moment. I call it the that thing you do moment where you're just like yes. Oh. Yes. Yes. It's an <laughs> it's an amazing moment. You never forget the first sale or the first call yeah. it's just especially if you've been trying so hard for so long to get that call is it's just unbelievable yeah yeah so would you say that you're a pantser or a plotter a little bit of both I I never outline my books I I used to have to do that when I wrote for one of my publishers and it drove me crazy what I do the way it works for me best is that I think through my characters very thoroughly. I really get to know my characters before I begin. And I kind of know the major plot points. And once I know my characters and kind of what the plot is, then I move on to the next step, which is where does this story start? Which is such a critical question. 
uh, every author should pay a lot of attention to that question because where you start the book is critical in terms of pulling in your audience. And once I decide, okay, this is the moment where everything changes for one of the characters. This is the moment I need to start the book. Then I launch into the story. And from there, I just let it take me where it goes. I do kind of know where I'm ultimate destination, but not any of the steps along the way. That happens as I write. Yeah. Yeah. I bet I would have somewhat similar if I decided to write. I think I would probably uh, have some idea. I mean, you have such a framework within the formula for these, for the genre alone, like certain things you have to, marks you have to make, but, uh, but uh, yeah, I think I would be some combination too, if I, if I did. So that makes a lot of, that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, so yeah, I read in your bio that you're also a big fan of musicals. Yes. You've, yes. Uh, you've, you've sung and, and performed. Yes. I, I started doing that. I, I've always had an interest in theater since in music, since I was a little girl, my grandfather uh, was an amateur vaudeville. So was my, my maternal grandmother. I must be in the blood. There's grease paint <laughs> in the blood for sure. And so I've always been interested in that. And I didn't, and I always was in to, to dance lessons, but I didn't take voice lessons until I was in college. And once I did that, I started to get heavily involved in community musical theater and have, have been very fortunate to play the leading roles in a lot of the classic musicals like South Pacific and the King yeah. and I, Oklahoma. I mean, it's it's been an amazing experience. And the funny thing is I did that purely as an av- avocation, never thought again about making that a career because of the security thing. And it's so hard mm-hmm. to break out in that business, but I yeah. always had it as an avocation. And the interesting thing about that is, and it's not why I did it, but it has been an immense help with my writing because when you, yes, when you take on a character in a sh- and you become someone else in any kind of a performance, you begin to realize how important things like body language, and posture and tone of voice and all of those things, how important they are in creating this character that you're bringing to life on stage. And those are the same things you have to do as a writer. So it dovetailed beautifully with my mm-hmm. writing. That's really interesting. I can see that. Yeah. That, mm-hmm. And and I think it would probably also help me because a lot of these musicals are, are romances too. Yes, they are. Yeah. So to get kind of the the theatricality I think would kind of help uh the help with the writing because uh, yes. you know these some of these books can be a little over the top uh, and that's part of the fun of it yes we'd like to take a second and thank our sponsor for this episode of the podcast a brighter future awaits if she can escape the shadows of the past in after the shadows by Amanda Cabot the first book in the secrets of Sweetwater Crossing series A young widow returns to her hometown in Texas Hill Country, never dreaming that the new school teacher holds the key both to the mystery surrounding her father's death and to her heart. Library Journal says her sensitivity and realistic portrayal of characters often on the margins of history really shine in this new historical series. Check out After the Shadows today at bakerbookhouse.com and get 30% off and free U.S. shipping. That's 30% off and free U.S. shipping at bakerbookhouse.com or you can use our affiliate link in the description. Yeah. Cool. That's good. I, I am also, I'm a film critic, but I'm also a theater critic. So I, I love musical theater and I oh, love, wow. yeah, oh my gosh. Yeah. Do you have a favorite yeah. musical? Well, Les Mis, it, I mean, that was really the first music that I ever fell in love with. 
mm-hmm. was Les Mis in high school I literally knew every line to every song I if they <laughs> needed a swing on any role I could <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I still love that show to this day. I think it's so beautiful. Um, there's one that's I think underrated, underpraised that I absolutely love called Bright Star. Uh, it's I have actually not even heard of that. Yeah, yeah. You should seek it out. It's really lovely. Great story. Great songs. Uh, it's it's actually written by Steve Martin. Uh, surprisingly, I don't know if wow. you knew he's like a banjo bluesgrass player. I did know that. Yes. Yeah, and so he and Edie Bacall wrote this. Um, musical and uh, it's i just absolutely love it i love the story i love the songs uh it's it's definitely my second favorite and there's times when i wonder if i even like it better than Les Mis, which is i have, to I, I have so much nostalgia for Les Mis. i don't think that one will ever be beat but uh but yeah i mean i love hamilton i love uh there's so many so many great shows i love singing in the rain oh uh, yeah was when they the one of the theaters here i'm in utah one of the theaters did it last year uh, last summer and it was absolutely amazing uh and uh i i think that is a really good adaptation of that movie um and uh, what else are there's just so many <laughs> we can be yeah. all day talking I about i know about you there's, yeah yeah you know, I, I, I tend toward the classic musicals, the, the Lerner yeah. and Lowe, the Rodgers and mm-hmm. Hammerstein, I, but I do like a lot of the modern ones too. I think my favorite classic is probably the Music Man. Oh, I love that one. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So, all right. Well, let's talk about your new book, Wind Swept Away. Mm-hmm. Uh, why don't you tell the audience a little bit about it, about the story? Sure. And here's, here's what it looks like. It's hey. coming out next week, actually. Um, so Windswept Way is set in my charming little Oregon seaside town of Hope Harbor, and it is number nine in the series. And I always put a caveat when I tell people that because a lot of readers hear that and think, oh my goodness, nine books, I can't ever catch up, I can't do this. And, and I always tell people, every book can be read as a standalone in the series. The common element is the town of Hope Harbor. Uh, and But every hero and heroine is brand new in each story. And there are no hanging plot threads from book to book. So you yeah. can pick up any book and just jump right into a story about Hope Harbor. Yeah, And it's been amazingly well-received by readers. It's just incredible. But this book uh, features three people. There is an older woman who's kind of a recluse and she lives on this secluded seaside estate high up on the cliffs. She's been there for many years and her grandfather built this estate. He was a lumber baron and she has some tragedy and sadness in her past. And she, uh, so she's kept apart from the world, but she decides that it's time to bring some love and laughter back to this house that once knew those things. And that's where my heroine enters and Ashley, uh, is a historian and has worked at a historic house in the past. And so she comes out to the West Coast and meets with Rose and they decide that they will work together to on this house. And she also has had some major unsettling events in her life. She She's ready to start over both on the personal and the professional front. And so one of the people they pull in to help them is a local landscape company owner. Jonathan Gray, and he is also a person who has lived pretty much apart from people for a very understandable reason. And he 
uh, he's got a lot of sadness and tragedy in his past too. So these three people come together to help bring new life and happiness to this wonderful seaside home. And along the way, they all discover that maybe they're gonna, going to find those things for themselves mm -hmm. with each other. And I think it's, I love this story. It's an especially beautiful story to me. And it's one of the books, this doesn't always happen when I finish a book, but it's one of the books where when I was writing the last page and the last, the epilogue, I actually had my Kleenex out, you know, it reminded me of the opening scene in Romancing the Stone where she's, of course, a romance writer and she's got an empty box of Kleenex and she's out of tissues. And, and I thought if, if a reader reads the end of this book and they don't get a little choked up, they have a much much tougher heart than I yeah. do because when the author herself gets choked yeah. up and usually it means that readers will too yeah I mean guilty it got me that's for sure and the they I mean they even like specifically talk about Beauty and the Beast mm -hmm. in the in the book but yes, it's definitely an homage to Beauty and the Beast and mm -hmm. it has those elements because John has the scars Yes. And yes. he's very like self-conscious about and right. uh, and he neither of them believe that the other person would want to be with them. They both yes. have this similar like doubt and that's something I could definitely relate to because I since I haven't had a lot of uh relationships, I haven't had relationships in my life, like I think if it, if it actually happened I I think I would be like what? No, you've got the wrong person. Like what? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's kind of like this is too good to be true syndrome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, can somebody really, really love me despite all the things that I think are the reasons that I think they shouldn't? Yeah. And they both, they're both dealing. You're right. They're both dealing with that in this book. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So was that, what was the process like in creating these, creating these characters, Ashley and John? Well, you know, when I started this story, I kind of started with the idea of the remote estate and, uh -huh. and character who lived there. And, and from there I went, well, who would, who might possibly be interested in getting involved in helping to restore that? So Ashley's character evolved from that. I need a character who would have the expertise and the interest and also the incentive to want to come and tackle a project like this. So that's where, that's where her character came from. And I always like to, of course, put obstacles between a hero and hero, and that's what makes the story interesting. And I mm -hmm. thought, now what, what would keep some, what would keep somebody from wanting to get involved with her and who would they be and where would they live? And I thought, all right, I need, a, I need another character who's kind of a recluse as well. I mean, John does work in the world, but he sort of masquerade, he, he keeps a mask on almost in a literal sense when he's out in the world. And he lives close by to this historic estate. So I thought, okay, so I, I'm gonna put him in close proximity, <clears throat> at least physically, but not psychologically or emotionally. Mm -hmm. And this is this would be a great character because they do have to restore the grounds of this estate too. And he was the perfect person to pull into the story to do that. So it, it, it all just melded together so well when I was developing this book. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you do mention like COVID masks and different things like that in the book. And and if you think about how isolated we all were during that during that experience during the quarantine, mm -hmm. it, it it I think that's another way that people will be able to really relate to these two characters because they're isolated as well. That's true. That's yeah. true. And you know, as a writer, one of the things that 
was discussed on some of my writing loops was how do do we put COVID in our books? Do we work, do we work that mm -hmm. into our stories? And I would say there was a mixed reaction to that, but in general, most people said, no, it was a hard time. We're not ready to write about that yet. People are not reading our books to read about COVID. They want yeah. to escape from COVID. So I haven't referenced it often, but when I, but when there's an opportunity, like in this story to mention COVID masks, mm -hmm. because we all knew what they were, yeah. I do, I do occasionally put it in. Well, I, 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 for a while, I was kind of in the camp of, you know, I, I want the escapism, don't deal with it kind of thing. But I, uh, last year, I kind of reached a moment where I'm like, I'm ready to process this through mm -hmm. my art and through literature. Mm -hmm. I'm mm -hmm. ready to let's start telling these stories because now it's mm -hmm. been a couple of years uh, that I think it's time. Yes. Uh, so. And I think we'll see more of that as time yeah. goes on. And, and you bear in mind too, that when I was writing this book, we were still a lot closer to COVID. Right. This book's yeah. been in production for a year. Right. So it was yeah. written, you know, a year and a half ago. So it was still pretty fresh in everybody's mm -hmm. mind. We'd like to take a second and thank our sponsor for this episode of the podcast. It's the Hallmarkies Merch Store. Are you looking for that perfect gift for the postable, hardy, or hallmarky in your life? What about getting that t-shirt or hoodie that will help you stand out at your next holiday party? Now is the time to check out the Hallmarkies merch store. Full of festive designs by artists like Jessica Miller, Carrie from Hallmark Comics, and more. You can even have more than just shirts, but totes, cell phone cases, notebooks, mugs, and more. And it isn't just Hallmark. We have designs for Anna Green Gables, Man from Snowy River, The Nanny, and more. Every purchase at the merch store goes to help support the podcast and allows us to make the great content you know and love. There are frequent sales, so go to tpublic.com slash stores slash Hallmarkies or see the link in the description. That's tpublic.com slash stores slash Hallmarkies. So is it hard to build romantic tension while keeping it clean, clean, uh, uh, romance? It isn't for me. And, you know, I think back to those Emily Loring books I referenced earlier, which were, as I said, written in the 40s. And they're, they were very romantic books. And, I, you know, it's kind of like the sexual tension to me is more compelling than graphic descriptions. And I think you can put in plenty of sexual tension in a book and talk about the attraction without getting into the nitty gritty um, details of what goes on or even taking it to the point of into the bedroom. And, you know, romance, romance is much bigger than just the physical act of love. Mm -hmm. And so I think so many of the books we read today focus so much on that part of the relationship that the other part gets excluded. And there's so many other things that go into romance. You have to be compatible on so many levels to have a true and lasting relationship or a true romance, whether it's, you know, psychological, intellectual, um, all those different things have to be there in order, not just the, the traction has to be there for sure. And I think yeah. there's plenty of that in my books. I think I definitely, people know that these characters are attracted to each other. So I don't think the romance suffers at all by that. And, you know, so many of the things years ago, think about movies back in the 40s, so many of the classic romantic movies, there was no on-screen um, explicit uh, love scenes, but wow, there was romantic tension. I mean, yeah. Casablanca is a great example. Like, wow. Mm -hmm. You know, nothing happens on screen, but wow. Is that? Yeah. Well, you even think like Jane Austen. I mean, yeah. the, right. she's the queen, you know, was the queen of romance. 
and, yeah. uh, and, uh, yeah. Or something uh, like I just watched for our patron project. I would just rewatched, um, Brexit Tiffany's and that has character. I mean, she's basically a call girl and yet it's all yes. implied. It's all yes. subtle. And it, yes. it, I, I think it works better than I feel like if they made that movie now, it would be vulgar and, uh, and I think less interesting because yes. it would all be out there. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Leaving something to the imagination. There's a lot to be said for that because one of the things I always tell people is you can, you can write an explicit love scene, but everybody's idea of the perfect love scene and of romance is different. So it may or may not meet certain viewers or readers expectations, but if you just kind of let people use their own imagination, they're going to create the perfect mm -hmm. romantic scenario That's in their own point. mind. Yeah. 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 I can see that. Yeah. And uh, so did you, were you consciously thinking about making this a like Beauty and the Beast story or uh, did that kind of just evolve? I didn't start off thinking about that. It, it actually didn't occur to me that this was sort of one of those tropes until I was partially into the story, maybe a three quarters, a, a third of the way into the story, probably I thought, wait, this is kind of like similar to the Beauty and the Beast concept of but I didn't know I didn't start off thinking yeah. I know some writers will take a fairy tale trope and they will make modernize and I, I didn't start that way I just I thought I just wanted to talk, tell a story about somebody dealing with major trauma and major mm -hmm. image disruption of major major image disruption for this man the hero on this book and how would they deal with it and how would they interact with with uh, in terms of the romance front and it just kind of evolved and then I suddenly hit me oh wait this is kind of like beauty and <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> so what do you think makes this book special what would be your pitch to people like I think you'll like it I think I think the storyline itself with the three characters who were all isolated and being pulled together is a big one but I think probably uh, a review that I got from Publishers Weekly for the very first book in this series kind of summarized what I think keeps drawing people back to the Hope Harbor books. And Publishers Weekly said that Hope Harbor was a place of emotional restoration that readers will yearn to visit. And I think that's what draws people to Hope Harbor. It's, it's the place, so many readers tell me, I wish I could visit or I wish I could live there. There's, as I said, a new cast every time, but there are also some recurring secondary characters that readers have come to love. Uh, Charlie Lopez, who is the taco making artist, he's had a stand, taco stand on the wharf as long as anybody can remember. And he's kind of a town philosopher. And he has become the most beloved character that I have ever written. He has generated that character more, more male and more comments than all of the characters in all of my other books combined. Yeah. So it's, I think things like that also pull readers back, that there are some familiar faces that draw them back to this town of Hope Harbor. And every time they get to see those familiar faces, but they get to read a new story about people who are finding, um, the tagline kind of says it all, all come home to Hope Harbor where hearts heal and love blooms. And that, that really does summarize the series. Yeah. So is Hope Harbor that based on any particular place? No, when I was starting the series, I, I didn't know it would be a series when I started. I sold it to my publishers, one book. 
but I hoped it would become yeah. serious. So I had never been to Oregon, but I'd read a lot about it. I'd seen pictures. I thought it sounds like the perfect place to set this book. So I made a research trip out there and yeah. I traveled the coast, top to bottom, traveled the whole coast and mm -hmm. made all kinds of notes and pictures and compiled all of those into took elements I liked from all these different places and put them together to create my little town of Hope Harbor. Nice. Yeah. That's going to be one of the perks of being a writer is you can expense, uh, like I, I, I'd be tempted to set most of my books in Hawaii. <laughs> like that. like yes, I got to go do you. research. Yes. I hear you. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, cool. Well, congratulations on the book. I did. Thanks. I enjoyed it. I, I really liked Ashley and John as characters and, uh, I think, uh, our listeners will, will really enjoy it too. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. And I think this, even the secondary character Rose who has her own storyline has mm -hmm. a few surprises in store for readers that I think they'll find interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice when your book has layers, there's lots of yes. uh, place, places to enjoy. Uh, well, we like to end our interviews with some fun, uh, get to know you questions. The, okay. the first question is what is the best ice cream flavor? I'm a chocolate person. So just mm -hmm. any chocolate, even basic chocolate is fine with me. <laughs> <laughs> what is your favorite color? I would, I would say yellow because it's bright and cheerful, but I also love green. I'm very Irish. So green is also in my, in my palette of favorites. Oh, that's good. Yeah. And I, you can tell I'm wearing green. So. Yeah. Yeah. And that's very Christmassy. Yeah. <laughs> have you, have you done a Christmas book? Um, I, that's kind of funny. I haven't purposely done a Christmas book, but one of my publishers sort of named a couple of my books with Christmas names to oh. turn them into holiday books, which it's kind of funny. There was a holiday scene <laughs> in the books, but that wasn't, um, that wasn't why they were written. So no, I've never <laughs> purposely fun. written a Christmas book. <laughs> okay. Uh, what music are you into right now? You know, my favorite is still the classic classic musicals that's yeah. if I have to go back that's what I'll always go back to mm -hmm. yeah uh what is your go-to date night food oh boy we don't I, I don't you know we don't go out to dinner very much anymore we eat a lot at, at home um yeah. if I was going to if I was going to order in a re restaurant it would probably be um I love lamb um so it might be something with lamb and a very nice restaurant elegant you yeah, know, lots of atmosphere. Uh, and I love like asparagus and risotto and potatoes and yeah, really nice sort of continental menu would be my favorite date night food. Yeah. All right. What is your go-to date night activity if you're going to go out and do something? My husband and I love to, to take uh, hikes. So mm -hmm. that's still my favorite. I love being outdoors and that's probably our go-to thing when we want to just get away and have some time alone and yeah. go take a hike. Very good. All right. Uh, which do you like better dogs or cats? Dogs. Okay. Uh, you might've already answered this, but which do you like better beaches or mountains? I like both, but if I was given a choice, it would be beach. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Uh, all right. What's your favorite holiday to celebrate? Hmm. I like all holidays. I, I guess Christmas is my favorite, but we always being from an Irish family, St. Patrick's Day is a big deal in our family. So, uh, that would be probably the second one. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's, that's fun. Yeah. It, the, they've 
you know, have corned beef and cabbage and which isn't really Irish, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. My, 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 actually, my father was born in Carney, County Cork, so we and, and my maternal grandparents were both born in Ireland. So I have strong Irish heritage, and we we definitely notice St. Patrick's yeah. Day. Well, we kind of joke on uh about Hallmark that you that the only places you're allowed to get if to fall in love is Ireland or Italy. They have a lot of movies set in either of those places. So. That's true. That's true. Well, yeah. Ireland is a very romantic, atmospheric place. Yeah. So is yeah. Italy. It's like, throw a bone to, to other countries every now and then. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, last question. What is your favorite Hallmark or romantic movie? Oh, boy. I know it's tough. Um, that's a tough one. Uh, and I don't know that I can pick one favorite movie, but I can tell you that pretty much anything, this goes way back, uh-huh. pretty much anything uh, Cary Grant was in, uh, that would be, yeah, those are my yeah. favorite type of romantic movies. Yeah. What a great leading man I mean, he was. Yeah, he has so many great ones. His Girl Friday, yeah. Bringing a Baby, The Philadelphia Story, yeah. Uh, yeah. The Talk of the Town. There's so many good ones. Yeah, and plus he, you know, he did all different genres. I mean, North yeah. by Northwest is suspense, and that's yeah, the, all the Hitchcocks. Yeah, 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 yeah. He did true. a real wide variety of, and he was just such a terrific leading man that it's hard to go wrong with one mm-hmm. of his movies for romance. Yeah, I love um, Notorious. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, that yeah. one's really good. Yeah, uh, and I, I, I was going to ask you, I, for, I forgot, but uh, do you think it's harder to write contemporary romance or or suspense? Do you think one of the genres is harder than the other i would say suspense is harder because of you have to have not only the romance going on but you have to have a really complicated if you're you're going to write good suspense complicated suspense thread going on as well and there's a lot of foreshadowing and dropping clues and it a lot of pieces have to come together in a suspense novel that you don't have in a romance so i'd say that's typically also a lot more technical research so i would say for those reasons it's probably a bigger challenge to write suspense Mm -hmm. yeah interesting well very good you answered all the questions (laughs) (laughs) thank you so much for coming on and talking with us i really appreciate it and uh if people want to follow you your uh you have a website social media or anything like that you want to share yes yeah, the website is www.arenehammond.com. And that's that's the best place to go for people mm-hmm. that just want to see my backlist and general information about me. And then I do hang out on social media. Facebook is my place. Okay. I, I'm on Instagram and Twitter, but I don't post there much, but I'm on a Facebook every day. I try to respond to every comment on Facebook and have great interaction with readers there. So if somebody would like to reach out to me, that's that's a wonderful place to do it. Yeah. Very good. We'll have all that information in the description. So definitely everybody should check it out and check out Windswept Away. I thought it was a really fun, uh, moving, lovely little book. So congratulations. And uh, it's great to talk with you. Thank you so much for having me on. We'd like to thank Irene for coming on the podcast. This was so much fun to get to talk with her and hear about her journey as a writer. Uh, If you have any thoughts or comments about the things we talked about, we'd love to hear that in the comment section or on Twitter. And uh, you can find me at Rachel's Reviews, all of our social media, iTunes, YouTube, and on Rotten Tomatoes and on Goodreads. So check all of that out. 
And uh, also make sure you're following the podcast, Hallmarkies Pod, Hallmarkies Podcast, all of our social media. And if you are listening on iTunes, please leave your ratings and reviews. Really appreciate that. And if you are watching on YouTube, please give the video a thumbs up, subscribe to the channel. We appreciate that so much. We also have the Patreon group, which is so much fun. And, uh, and we have the merch store. So take a look at that. And uh, thanks again to Irene. And we'll talk to you all later. Bye. Bye.